they are not here this morning. <laughs> Be pretty cool, wouldn't it? I actually did get to meet Vanna White's pastor from many years ago. She's from North Myrtle Beach, and uh, he had the privilege to baptize her, he said. But anyway, uh, they're not here. But we, I do want to kind of go with the theme that we've already set up, and it's the whole idea that we're building this sermon series around game shows. And it seems like every time you turn on the TV, there's some type of game show. Whether you go back to the 70s and uh, see these people, and I don't know about you, but I'm fascinated by some of that. Re remember seeing it as a child, and now you can see it and times before, and then the new ones that come out during the summer and different things. But Wheel of Fortune, when you think about it, uh, it originally aired in January of 1975. That's a long time ago. And there are 60 different versions over, over the world, uh, across the world. 60 different versions of it. Of course, Pat Sajak and Vanna White, you, you remember them. Every time you hear the name, you think of Will Fortune. But do you remember when they would play the game and you could actually uh, win prizes where you would win the money and then you shop for the prizes that were right there in the studio? Do y'all remember that? Can y'all go that far back? Okay, I had to remind myself of that. I was looking at old footage of the game show and I was like, that's right, they had to buy prizes back then. But anyway, some of you are not interested and I get it, but anyway. <laughs> Today we're continuing the series Game Changer. And of course, last week, Jonathan introduced the series and, and uh, we looked at some definitions associated with the actual phrase Game Changer. In the context of a game, it's a move or a play that suddenly changes the outcome of a game or a contest. In the context of life, it's a person that makes a decision that dramatically changes the entire course of their life. And of course, we said last week that Jesus, we believe as believers in Christ, as followers of Jesus Christ, he is the ultimate game changer. For when he came into our life, everything changed. Everything changed. How we felt about our sin, how we, how we view God, everything changed. Our perspective changed on all kinds of things. And so it is, it is up to us when we look at these things to realize that all of us need a game-changing moment in our lives. But you know something? It doesn't end with our salvation. I believe as we make our way through life, as we make our way understanding more of who God is and what he desires for us, there ought to be those game-changing times in our lives as we walk and follow him. So look at the introduction. As believers, many of us have unbiblical views and or use misguided phrases in our attempts to explain the events and circumstances of our blessed lives. I'm convinced that so many times, I don't think we do this intentionally. I think sometimes we just uh, hear something or we use a phrase our parents always used or, or what everybody uses and we go out there and we just say those things. So I don't think we intentionally try to do these things. It just kind of comes out of us. But it's something I think we need to take note of. So as you continue to listen, turn to Psalms 139, Psalms 139. Now, the phrases that I'm talking about that we use that are not great phrases to describe the Christian life would be th phrases like good luck. How many of you have ever said good luck? Some of you may have said that yesterday, this past week. Maybe it's a common phrase that you use. 
Some even carried a step further. I've heard people say, uh, may the stars shine upon you or uh, you nerds, may the force be with you. Or uh, (laughs) even some of us would say, wow, that is a coincidence. This type of talk, believe it or not, and boy, you're not gonna like this, is a bad testimony. It's a bad testimony. And, And listen, I've used those phrases myself. But I'm here to tell you is we need to really pay attention as to how we describe our lives and those things that we say to other people because sometimes we're misleading them in really what we're all about when we say good luck or may the stars shine upon you or boy, that was a coincidence. Now, most of us know Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, God says, for I know the plans I have for you. Now, if you go and look at the context of that, he's talking about the nation of Israel, but many of us have adapted that to each of our lives, which I don't think there's anything wrong with us making that connection. But these, this verse, along with others, speak opposite of the common phrases that we use so many times. So look on your outline. The inappropriate descriptions of a blessed life. The first word I want to use is fortune. And it literally means a position in life as determined by luck, fate, or prosperity. Let me give you some examples. He is blessed by fortune. We've all heard it. Some of us may have even said it. Perhaps my, perhaps fortune will smile on my life. We've said these many different things. And then there's a whole idea of luck itself. It's a combination of circumstances or events operating by chance to bring good or ill to a person. And some of the examples is something like this. She's had nothing but good luck all year. Some of us may even say, well, we had no luck in finding that job or a job. And so many times we use it, and we use it flippantly, and I don't think any of us mean anything bad about it. We just use it. And then there's a word that I didn't add to this, and I wish I would have put on there. It is that word coincidence. So many times we think certain things in our lives happen by coincidence, okay? And a coincidence is a striking occurrence of two or more events at one time apparently happening by mere chance. Now, How many of you would agree, based on the definitions I just gave here, based on what you know about God's word, that these words do not describe a believer in Christ? How many of you would agree with that? How many of you are convicted? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) How many of you are saying, maybe as a result of hearing me so far, that maybe I need to change some terminology that comes from my mouth? Really, we do. And I'm included in that. And people that I love are included in that. And very mature Christians that, that I know know God's word. They, they just use the phrase, I know it. But we need to pay attention to these phrases. So let's look at this other part. The appropriate descriptions of a blessed life. Of course, the word blessed are those who are consecrated, holy, sanctified, or divinely favored. It's literally the the idea that God has set you apart for something. He wants to operate in and through your life, and he's going to accomplish something through your life. That is the blessings that we have from God. And so some would say, I am blessed by God. I've even heard someone say recently, I'm too blessed to be stressed. I thought, man, that is so good. And there's so many other versions of that. 
But, but there's so many other things. Another word that accurately describes a blessed life is a word sovereignty. Sovereignty, meaning one God who has sovereign power or authority over all. Now, how many of you so far, based on these two words that we've defined, have seen that luck and fortune and coincidence do not describe sovereignty and blessing? You see the difference now? Okay, let's carry it a step further. Let's keep working with this. So what I want you to look at is Psalms 139. Now, many of you know this, this chapter. Some of you uh, would say with me that it's one of your, uh, probably your favorite uh, Psalms in the Bible. It's definitely up there at the top with me too. I want you to look at Psalms 139. I want you to look at verse one and see if this describes luck or coincidence. He says, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar, afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, oh Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Skip down to verse 10. Even there, your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. Skip down to verse 13. This is what we're familiar with. For you form my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed and in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Do you see any luck in any of that? Do you see any coincidence that's there? Now, when you read the psalm, you, you know what you hear? You hear sovereignty. You, what you hear is the fact that God has a plan. What you hear is that God has a purpose because he's created you a specific way and he is a part and desires to be a part of the working outs of your life. It's not by coincidence. It's not by luck. Now, this verse tells us that there is something more than coincidence, luck, or star movement working in the universe. We are living a life of blessing ordained and set forth by God. Now, why would we use phrases like good luck instead of something like, may God bless you? For some of us, it's just habit, as I said before, something we've heard all our lives. But for some of us, maybe we really don't see God interacting in the circumstances of our lives. Maybe there's a part of us that says, you know, there's some things I believe God just doesn't care about. And and, and it's, we're just lucky sometimes. Can I tell you this? That's not what I read here. There's not, nothing even close to resembling that. I, when you read Psalms 139, when you look at Jesus and how he interacted with people, uh, there was never Jesus saying, good luck. Jesus never said, may the force be with you. May the stars shine upon your life. I mean. Never said those things. It was all about something intentional that God was desiring to do with a life. Christians, I believe, shouldn't believe in luck. 
Things don't just happen. There's always something going on behind the scenes. I want to give you something that's happened this past week that um, I've been looking at our church recently and uh, our 70th anniversary is coming up next month. And on October 20th, we're going to have a special 70th anniversary service uh, at the 930 and 11. And I hope you'll make plans to attend. But you know what I was thinking? I was thinking as, as we were making our way through that, and then I got news that one of the former pastors here passed away this past week. Uh, it's the pastor who preceded Larry Mars. Many of you knew Larry, but Johnny Bridges passed away this past week. His funeral's today at three o'clock. And, and you know what I found that was interesting about that? I had a conversation with someone last night, or night before last, and it kind of reminded me of something that when I started putting all the connections together. But did you know that back in the 70s when Johnny was a pastor here, that he did something that kind of set the stage for where we are today? Did you know that? Did you know that he had the courage? He, he was a pastor that we believe God sent here to have, a, have courage enough to put us on a more healthy path as a church. He dealt with something that was necessary for us to become not dysfunctional and where we could become functional as a church. And there were some things and decisions and hard things that he faced that, that he, he tackled head on that he dealt with, and it set a path for when Larry got here, the church was able to move to a certain place. And then Larry comes along and adds a, a bunch to this, he and Carol, and God began to bless that work. And, and then we come along, and you see how God is sovereignty, in his sovereignty has worked out the issues to get us to where we are today. And if God can do that with a church, can he do that with your individual life? Most definitely. God is behind what he's up to. He's working. He's constantly moving in these situations. So what does a blessed life look like when God is working? I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. This will be the last place I have you turn. But I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Now, the next point we have here are the overwhelming evidence of a blessed life. Now, what you think is evidence of a blessed life may shock you. I think sometimes when we think blessing, we think material gain, don't we? Uh, some people on TV, prosperity teaching, maybe associate that many times. That if you do this, uh, God will bless you this way. And it seems like it's always monetarily or it's always there's going to be this great health associated with something. That's not necessarily accurate. That's not even what the Bible says. And, and so many times we look at these things, but Jesus is preaching the most famous sermon ever preached in, in Matthew chapter five. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And if you were to, to label, or, or if you were to say, okay, what would the sermon series title be for the Sermon on the Mount? Because there's different messages in those three chapters. It would be something like this, living at a heavenly kingdom level, living at a heavenly kingdom level. Literally what's happening is, all the, the whole, those three chapters surrounds the theme of living a blessed life in a fallen world. That's literally what he's trying to say there. How do you live above the fallen world? How, how do you live the way God desires you to live? A kingdom liver, uh, liver. <laughs> Whoa. 
a kingdom heart or whatever you want to call it. Some or, anyway. Okay, so, so basically that's what he's saying. So in Matthew chapter 5, I want you to look at verse 1. Jesus is, says, and seeing the multitudes, okay, so the multitudes have come to Jesus. He begins to sit down. So he goes up to a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them saying. Now, it wasn't just the disciples. The multitudes are gathered around. And Jesus for some of them, this is the first time they've heard anything come out of his mouth, okay? Disciples are, are kind of new to the scene themselves. But, but what's interesting, this is the first thing people are hearing from Jesus. Listen to what he says. Uh, it says in verse 2, Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Does that even sound right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, we, we know, based on good theology, that this is exactly right. But the first time you've ever heard this, it's almost like Jesus is speaking a foreign language. It's almost like he's not even talking about the reality of, of the world here. You know why? Because he's talking about a whole different level. He's basically saying, the level that I want you to live at is higher than the level that the world has. It's a higher. It's something greater. So he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He is basically introducing them to a whole new reality than what they know. Because all they know is a fallen world, right? That's what they know. The same fallen world they lived in, we live in. The, the, the fact that we look around and see evil that surrounds us, they lived in that same world. The, the fact that disease is eating the human body, they, they lived in that world. The fact that all the suffering is out there, they lived in that world. And yet Jesus comes on the scene. For some of them, it's the first time they've ever heard him. They say, but there's a higher level above the suffering, above the coincidences of life, above the fact that, that, that you're just kind of here, fending, fending, basically fending for your life. And there's a higher calling. There's somewhere God wants to take you. That's what he's talking about here. All, the whole sermon is surrounding that. The idea of having a blessed life, listen, has to do with the inward contentness that comes from God that is not affected by circumstances derived from a fallen world. It's that idea that God is going to do something and he's going to produce something in you and it may not be material wealth like other people equate blessings with. Or it may not be the complete healthiness. Because, listen, there's some mighty fine followers of Jesus Christ that are suffering with ailments. And, boy, we can see Jesus even in the midst of that, can't we? But let me tell you, what he's talking about here, he's saying there's something that's higher than that. But seeing God, listen, working through the circumstances... We see that. That's what he wants us to see. That's what he's describing here. It's not a totally blessed life as the world says it. He's saying there's a different type of blessing God wants to bring. It's kingdom living. It has to start. You know where it starts? He's showing us. Think about how he started the sermon. He's basically saying you got to change your perspective. Everything you thought it was is not that. Let me prove it to you. 
Here, here's one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor shall be elevated. I mean, think about this. I mean, he's totally flipping everything. It has to start with a proper perspective, not involving luck or coincidences. We must see our lives in the context of God's character because that's what he's revealing when he reveals these things and in the context of his sovereignty. And it can only happen when we have a kingdom perspective. And that's exactly what he's trying to teach us here. So how do we enjoy the benefits of a blessed life? What stands in the way of a blessed life? Look on your outline. The carnal obstacles to a blessed life. Number one is rebellion. Rebellion. If you were to say, what's one sure way to shut down any work that God wants to do in my life, what can I do? Rebel. You say, well, how do you know that? Study the Old Testament. <laughs> Harder rebellion, God's work stopped. Ezekiel 20, 13, yet the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statues. They, they, uh, statutes. They despised my judgments. What's another way to have obstacles in the way of a blessed life? And we talked about this recently, complaining. You know, complaining is really, if you think about it, it's just fruit that comes from the heart. Wouldn't you agree with that? A heart that's not right, the fruit of that heart that's not right, many times it comes out as complaining. Think about that. How many of you can be pretty good at complaining? Yeah. Appreciate the honesty back there. Yeah. We can get pretty good at it, can't we? And it seems like we live in a culture where complaining is celebrated now, doesn't it? I mean, it's amazing where we are with that. And yet the Bible says in Philippians 2.14, do everything without complaining. But we do. Here, here's another one. This is convicting. Worry. Again, we've talked about some of these subjects recently. Philippians 4.6, don't worry about anything. But in everything with prayer and thanksgiving, make your request known to God. You mean to tell me worry can sabotage the idea of a blessed life? Yeah. Because let me tell you about a blessed life. A blessed life is really nothing more than a proper perspective of who you are in Christ. It's, it's to learn to, be, to have a contentness in his presence in the work that he's desiring to do in your life. And when I begin to complain and when I begin to rebel and I begin to worry, I'm clouding what God may be up to. And we, and we got to understand. How about this? Lack of trust. Some of us, <laughs> hardship hits our life. What's one of the first thoughts that comes your way sometimes? What did I do to deserve this? What in the world did I do to deserve this? Can I tell you something? He's already said we live in a fallen world. We already live in a disease-filled world. We already live, listen, we already live in a world that will never satisfy. Let me tell you, let me tell you what people do. And we're talking about two different levels here. We're talking about this, this heavenly level 
where he's introducing these thoughts to us about the Sermon on the Mount. And there's this level he desires us to reach, okay? And so what happens is, is when we begin to live that level in which he wants us to live, he's basically saying that's when you will really understand what blessing is all about. And it's not about what's in the garage, and it's not about how much square footage you have, and it's not about what's sitting on the lake. Let me tell you, there's just a higher level here. And you know something, when you reach this, it doesn't matter what comes into your life or what kind of fallen world issue you're dealing with, you're there. You're there. And y'all, I've met people who are living there. And it's amazing. And it's hard to be around sometimes. And I wish I would say I'm always there. I'm not always there. I get down in the mouth just like you do because y'all come complain to me too, you know. But he's saying, let me tell you something. There, there's something up here the world can't touch. And, and you know what the world does? It tries everything to hit those marks, but it never, it never, it never goes there because they're handling it the wrong way. They're gasping. And many times what you're seeing in our world today are desperate attempts to feel blessed, to feel connected to the one that created them. And there's these desperate attempts that they're trying, but they will never fulfill those things apart from what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, especially the introduction. He's saying there's a whole different level that you can live, what's described as the blessed life. And then, of course, the lack of trust. Psalms 18, we hear this. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation. That horn literally means the power of my salvation. He's my stronghold. Boy, when you start living, believing that, that's living here. That that doesn't matter what kind of circumstance or what kind of thing the fallen world is going to touch your life with. You're living at a whole different level. And here's another one. This is an obstacle to a blessed life. And boy, some of us are really good at this one, self-pity. Anybody had any self-pity lately? You've heard me describe it before, but... Self-pity is basically you asking people to be a part of your pity party and no one shows up, so it becomes (laughs) self-pity. The Bible says in Psalm 69, I look for comforters and those who would help me, but no one would give me sympathy. (laughs) Let me tell you one thing about God that I've noticed in my life. Sometimes God will put you in a place when you start relying on this world to look for that blessed living life. Sometimes he's put me in my place where there was no one else but him that could have come through. And and I knew, I knew it would take him elevating me where I needed to be. But it took me getting out from under my self-pity. It took me quit complaining and getting on board with what he has in store. It took me to to realize that this world will never satisfy the inner longings that are there. That there's a whole different plane that he's calling me to. The suitable response to a blessed life. This list, believe it or not, some of this list is what I gave you just a couple weeks ago. It's amazing how much it fits in scripture or uh, fits in our lives. But, but the suitable response to a blessed life, look at the first one. Being thankful is the decision we must make in every situation of life. How do we know that? First Thessalonians chapter 5. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
in everything, everything. Secondly, being thankful brings the presence of God in our lives. Philippians 4, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Some of you are saying, well, how does that verse fit with that whole idea of presence? Because listen, let, let me tell you about this world. The, the one thing the world cannot duplicate is peace. Okay? Now, for a while, we may have peace among the nations. But how many of you realize that's short-lived? Short-lived. I'm talking about a peace that's associated with this higher plane that he's calling us to. I'm, ta I'm talking about something in which he is basically saying, when you live here, it'll blow your mind. How many of you have ever lived there and it blew your mind? Where you had peace in situations you never thought you could have peace in. When the fallen world rose up and says this and says that, and, and all of a sudden you, you're, 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 so, you're beyond it. Or you've been given this, this, this word about your health and all these different things. And, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll hear people who are dying with certain things. And, and, and I hear, you know, different things that people are struggling with. I'm like, man, how do you face something like that? And, and granted, I'm not in that situation, but one day I could be. You know what I'm counting on? You know what I believe about God and what he desires me to do? That when I start living in this elevated level that he's died to give me, a place where he wants me to live my life, that, that the moment I need it, I'll, I'll see, oh, I get it now. I've met a lot of people like that. And I've met them. And, and some of them, listen, it doesn't mean that they're not fearful. But it does mean this. You know something? I don't understand why I have this. I definitely wouldn't call it luck. I wouldn't call it coincidence. I, my, my life is in the hands of the one that created me, my redeemer, my, the one that provided my salvation. And let me just tell you something about it. He, he, he's, he's given me something I never thought I could live with, and we're doing just fine. It'll blow your mind when you hear people talk like that. That's what we're talking about. How, how do we sense his presence in our lives? I, I think many times it comes through praise and worship. I think it comes by acknowledging his hands in, our, in his hand in our lives. All through the Psalms, we read something like this. Enter into his gates, how? With thanksgiving, with gratitude, and enter his courts with praise. The Israelites' most notable sin was ungratefulness. And because of it, God withdrew his, his presence and his purpose from that particular generation. The blessings of God's presence removed. Can you imagine that? That's what they faced. Here's another one. Being thankful changes our perspective. I've, I've given you that so many times. But it does. A lot of people, they're sitting in this room... And you know this, you are your worst enemy. How many of you agree with that? me at times? We are. It's because we see things totally wrong sometimes. Sometimes it's because of the self-pity. Sometimes it's because we're too busy complaining. We don't stop to evaluate what's going on. Sometimes we just think life's not fair. Sometimes we can't bear the thoughts that God would allow this into our lives. And, and maybe we even associate, well, falling on hard times, bad luck. Someone has said this. Listen to this quote. This is a great quote. Our perspective about what we go through moment by moment is paramount to the person we ultimately become. Our perspective is everything. 
What was Jesus trying to do with the Sermon on the Mount? Change perspective. Change perspective. What does his word do so many times for us when we hear the messages of the world and we have the inner desires that go into complaining and whining and worry and all the different things we put ourselves through and all that? What's he trying to do? He's trying to take his word and say, let's have a change of perspective. There's a reason it's important we get into his word. In Genesis chapter 42, verse 36, Jacob, do you remember Jacob, the father of the 12 brothers? Remember him? Jacob, their father, he said to them, I mean, you talking about pity party? Here we go. Now listen, until you're in the situation this man's just been in, don't, don't judge him too harshly. But I want you to listen where, where he was coming from. You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. He's lost Joseph. What do we know about jo Jacob and Joseph? I hate to say it, but J J Joseph was Jacob's favorite. And then his second favorite, or uh, then he says, Simeon is no more, and you want to take my second favorite, Benjamin? Do you hear victory in this? Do you hear living at, a, at, a, at another level in this statement? No, 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 no. He, he's all down in the fallen world perceptions. And he says, and here's what he says about it. Here, here's how he, all these things are against me. How many of you ever been there before? All these things are against me. They're calling about the bills. My health, I'm just not feeling well. My grandchild's breaking my heart. My child's breaking my heart. What else could go wrong? The cat dies. In my case, that wouldn't be so bad, but... I got a cat if anybody would like to have a cat. It's a beautiful cat. All these things are against me. I'm not, I'm not associating the cat with that. <laughs> this mentality of self-pity and not seeing God's work in your life, you know what it breeds? Unforgiveness and bitterness. And it removes the awareness of God in your life. All these things are against me. But do you know what his son said? Joseph? Many of you know the whole story. It's one of the most beautiful things you'll find in Scripture. Jacob, all these things are against me. Woe is me. Come to the pity party. Join in. Joseph said to his brothers. You remember what his brothers did to him? Left him for dead. Sold him to. Was going to leave him for dead. Then they sold him into slavery, right? Jesus said to his brothers, he's confronting them after so many years. He looks at them. The brothers think he's going to obliterate them. He looks at them. He says, do not be afraid for am I in the, in the place of God? Joseph saw his place in God. He, he didn't see his place as God. He, 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 he wasn't going around throwing his weight around. He, he was, I have to assume he's living at a different level here. Okay, so the only way for him to come to the perspective he had was he was living at that level Jesus was talking about. And then he says, but as for you, you brothers, you who did this, these terrible things to me, he could have said, you meant evil against me. But let me tell you something. God meant it for good. God took what you did that was so evil 
that could have been the, the most evil devastation that I could have ever dealt with. And some of it was very hard for me, but I'm here to tell you, God does something wonderful with it. This is someone living at a different level beyond where most of us live our lives today. We are the people who would say all these things are against me, but this man is saying something totally different. He says, God meant it for good in order to bring about as it is to this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And Joseph comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You know why? He didn't have the pity party. He saw God working on their behalf. And it all led to him looking at his life, listen, as a blessing from God. Wow. Is that different? It's different. So here's the game changer. We, we call it application on most outlines. The events or circumstances of our lives are not based on chance, luck, or coincidence, but on the sovereignty of God, meaning he is the source of blessings that come into our lives. Now, I want to prove it one more time by something that's written in Romans, and we'll close. Look here at Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Many of you are familiar with this verse. He says, Paul says, and we know. Now, the word know there, if you don't understand the word know there, you're not going to get the rest. When he uses the word know there, he's talking about from my past experiences, I have learned this about God. Okay? So you got to understand what he's saying there. Okay, from my past experiences, I know this about God, that all things work together for good. Could that be the evil things that come upon us? Could that be the, the, the things that the fallen world throws at us? Could that be disease that just comes from this fallen world? Could be any of it. He says, I'm here to tell you that all those things work together for good to those who what? Love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. Those who, who God has called together. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, he predestined these. He also called whom he called. These he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now, I'm not getting into this predestination thing this morning. But I am going to tell you this. Listen to this. When he says for new, it means this. God knows everything in advance of what you're going to deal with in your life. Everything. And for some of you going through some very difficult times right now, that's not hard to hear. I mean, that's hard to hear because right now you're wondering, why is it there in the first place? Does he even care? He does. It requires this different level of living. It's, it's a whole your perception change of blessing has to change. And it can't be what the world says it is. So for new, God knows in advance. Predestined, it means God will complete what he set out that he started with. The Bible gives us that promise over and over again. Called, it means that God took the initiative to become a part of your life. Think about that. Justified, it means he's made you acceptable to be a part of his plan. Glorified, you know what that literally means? Means he's going to bring victory through whatever you face. Yes. And some of you are sitting here today and you say, well, wait a second. Even if it means death, yep, victory can come from death. Did it from him, for him? And the same thing can happen for you. And then here it is. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. 
You know, it's easy to memorize that verse and quote it when things are going good. It's tough when things are going bad, isn't it? To remind yourself that God's not up to harming you when you're going through some very difficult things. He, he's not. He, you know what he's literally doing in a verse like that? He's calling you at, to a higher level. He's saying, hey, let's take a moment and look at it from my perspective. Let's get into this idea of kingdom living. Let's get away from what the deceived and, and fallen world's throwing at you. I want to ask you right now if you just stand to your feet. Wes is going to come and we're going to sing a hymn of invitation here in just a moment. But here's, here's, what I'm thought, here's what I want you to understand. Maybe some of you are in this room and you're going through a very difficult time in your life. And, and right now, you would say in your heart right now is the complaining, the worrying. I mean, it's just, it's just so full of the wrong things. And I get that. I've been there myself. And maybe you just need someone to pray with you that God will give you that perspective that he has about your life. I'd be glad to pray with you about that. If there's something, if there's someone here today that has never seen God work in your life, and, and maybe this is all new to you, and you're like, I, you know, I don't even know what to do with what you're talking about. First of all, you need to establish a relationship with him. And that requires you to move towards him on his terms. And his terms are that you acknowledge the fact that you're a sinner. And by the way, everyone in here is a sinner. But you know the difference between maybe you and them? is the fact that that sin has been covered. Not by doing better, not by being here today, but by trusting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And we'd love to introduce you into a relationship with him about that, like that. Or maybe this is a church home. God believes you to be a part, leading you to be a part of. We'd love to have you. We just desire you to, if there's a decision you need to make, you make it before you leave here. Would you do that this morning? Father, we just thank you so much for what you've done here. And, and Lord, I just thank you for the way you used a sermon like this in my life this past week to... To, to really choose my words carefully when I begin to express myself to other people. That, Lord, even in the phrases that I use, that they will be a good testimony of the faith that I have in you. And, Father, that I will be one person that sees a blessed like life that is so much higher than the life that we live in this world. That you're calling us to something greater. And, Father, I thank you for it. Lord, have your way in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you sing with us?